Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. In 1979, Brenda Spencer opened fire on an elementary school. When questioned about the incident, she responded simply, I don't like Mondays. Those four words inspired the Boomtown Rats to pen their most iconic song, and Monday morning drive time radio was never the same. This week, I'm joined by Andrew of the band Five Iron Frenzy to discuss if the Boomtown Rats brought the one-hit thunder, or if the silicone chips inside all of our heads are just switched to overload. All right, so Boontown Rats, you yes, picked this one. I did, I did. Boontown Rats, band origin, they formed out in Dublin, 1975, and it's a reference of a gang of children in the autobiography Bound of Glory. So, fun fact for me, I've actually, I had never heard the song until you suggested it. All right, where, wow, really? Yeah, and <laughs> and like... It feels weird because it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I loved it. it. It's got like a very like if Elvis Costello sang an ELO type vibe. Yeah. What's your history with the song? So it's funny because I remember this song from when I was really little. Back in like, I think it was the 80s. It was kind of a hit. 
Yeah. I mean, so I grew up on the East Coast and we would listen to WMMR and WYSP. And I can't remember which one was the heavier rock station and which one was like the normal rock station. If it's like it is right now, YSP is the heavier one. Okay, yeah. So it was probably WMMR. And um, I just remember listening to the radio in the mornings and I'm you know, getting ready for school and then also listening to it in my mom's car, listening to the radio in my mom's, what was it, like a 74 or 75 gold Buick Skylark. you know also mtv they had a video on mtv as well but i never i never knew what the song was actually about um we've i mean we are going to dive into that yeah yeah i i I never knew what it was about until probably i got really into like true crime stuff and i i remember whether it was on a podcast or something like that or maybe a book i was reading or an audiobook i can't remember but i remember them talking about it and bringing it up, bringing that song up and just being, you know, gobsmacked. Just like, I had no idea. That's, I thought it was just about hating getting up to go to school in the morning yeah, you know, <laughs> or go to work. It's weird because if you like listen to it while you're reading the lyrics, you can definitely catch like little tiny references. But let's dive into that first. Let's dive into the origins of this, of what the song's about, because it's actually a pretty like heavy topic. Yeah. So it's about basically the first school shooting. Yeah. In the United States. Yeah. So it was. It was in California, I believe. In 1979 at the Cleveland Elementary School in San Diego. And like the song came out in 1979. So this is like, this is like immediate. This is, this is almost like, you know, when all those country songs were coming out about September 11th by like, November of that year. So what I read when I was doing some research on this, and I'm sure you also did research because you're the one that kind of tipped me off on what the song was about. Mm -hmm. But the song came about after he read the report of the shooting. And for those listening who don't know, it was uh, Brenda. Brenda Spencer. Yeah. She fired at school children on the playground and ended up killing the custodian and the principal. Injured several children as well. Yeah, and she showed absolutely no remorse. So the police came and interviewed her for a motive, and her answer was... I, I don't like Mondays. I was bored. Yeah, like, it it's such a nihilistic reaction to something. You've written some songs. You've written some poems. Could you imagine, like, hearing that story and just being like, I think I'm going to pen a hit, a worldwide hit based around this? Right. I mean, <laughs> we wrote A New Hope. Five Irons, Frenzy did. Yeah. That song's about Columbine. And that one was about, because our our guitar player, Micah, his sister was there. Um, and she was barricaded in the, uh, I believe it was a choir room. I remember us, we were in Nashville at the time, and we were all in a hotel room huddled around the TV watching this thing take place. And Micah hadn't heard from his sister.
was something that that directly affected us. Yeah, this um, is across the seas out yeah, in Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> so it certainly is a different situation, but um it's just it's amazing to me that this was such a hit. And it and no and like I don't think anyone really knew what it was about ex- apart from like Bob Geldof and and the rest of the band. Yeah, and the weird thing is Basically, it was a hit everywhere except for the United States. It was a very low charting hit. Mm-hmm. Like it was number one. So the numbers that I have here is that it it peaked at number 73 on the Billboard Hot 100, which like if you get on the Hot 100, it's a hit no matter where you place. But right. it's pretty low. But then it was number one in the UK. It was number one in Ireland. It was number one in Australia. It was number two in Sweden and the Netherlands. Number three in Norway and New Zealand and number four in Canada. Mm-hmm. So like this was a massive hit everywhere else. Right. And the band continued to be like hit makers in Ireland and the UK. But this was really their only blip on the radar in the, in the States. Right. Yeah. I mean, most people like if if people know who got Bob Geldof is, they usually are like, oh, yeah, that's the guy from Live Aid. Or, oh yeah, he was the guy that was in Pink Floyd, The Wall. He wrote, do Do they know it's Christmas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, do they know it's Christmas? The thing that's also weird is that, you know, he's known for the Live Aid concerts. And that was actually the place of the last major Boomtown Rats performance. That was essentially both a charity event and their farewell show. Which, I mean, hell of a farewell show to play, I guess. Right. And I believe I remember hearing that they infamously were the band that played immediately after Queen, like rocked everyone's faces off at Live Aid. Right. Which, like, what a tough act to follow as well. I'm old. I'm old enough to. I actually watched that on TV live. What was that like? Like, Live Aid was just one stage, right? Like, I guess in my brain, I think of festivals and stuff like that as like multiple stages. Was it was it was just one main stage the whole day, right? I, I don't recall actually whether it was just one big main stage. I just, I remember Queen and I believe, didn't the Beatles do something too? I think they, I think they did. Some of them did. Yeah. Right? I think they got together and did like, I think it was for maybe Paul McCartney's set, something like that. That that was a big deal. Led Zeppelin, I think got to back together for that also with a different drummer. The Who played there. It was a big deal. So was this when you were living in Philadelphia still, or had you moved by this point? Uh, no, I was still in Philadelphia. And um, if my, some of my facts are wrong, don't, you know, I can, I can hear the comments already now. Um, <laughs> if, uh, it was a long time ago for me. So I don't fully remember the entire experience of sitting in my living room and watching this, these concerts, but. This is a pretty stacked card. Like I'm looking at it right now. And so the the list of performances, that's the London one. Let's see what, well, the London one did have uh, Paul McCartney with David Bowie and Pete Townsend and a whole bunch of people just to sing Let It Be. Mm-hmm. Elton John was there, The Who, David Bowie, Queen, Dire Straits, U2. Oh yeah, um, David Bowie and Queen did Under Pressure. That's right. Yeah. But then, yeah, then we go with the Philly one. The Philly show had The Hooters played their two hits. Mm-hmm. The Four Tops were there, Billy Ocean, Black Sabbath, Run DMC, Rick Springfield, Ario Speedwagon, Crosby, Stills & Nash, Judas Priest, Brian Adams, The Beach Boys, George Theragood featuring Bo Diddley, 
The Pretenders, Santana, Madonna, Tom Petty, Kenny Loggins, The Cars, Neil. This is a stacked ass yeah. show, right? Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it was a big deal, insane. and that was all Bob Geldof did. Put it the whole thing together. Like that's that was his that was his baby. And I mean, he continued to do charitable work for for years. Yeah. After that, I think he was even like kind of knighted or something because of his charitable works which is really, really cool. And then, you know, this song, uh, when I was doing some research on the history of it, was also covered by Tori Amos. It was covered by uh, a couple, it says the X Factor contestants G4 also recorded a cover for this. Uh, So, I mean, that makes sense because I think X Factor is based in the UK. Mm -hmm. So, of course, if this song was like a number one hit and, you know, looks like the Boontown Rats had a couple hits in Ireland and the UK, of course, you'd be like, yeah, I want to cover I Don't Like Mondays. Yeah. Maybe Five Iron should cover it. I think, it, why not? <laughs> why not? I could see Dennis singing it. I think his vocal quality, like his his tonality of his voice fits a little more because he's got that kind of 80s, you know, like like uh, spe- he's he's got that like specials type of in, in English beat type of tone in his voice. He sounds a little bit like Danny Elfman sometimes too, I think. <laughs> I can hear that. Yeah. So here's the thing that's weird about this. So so I, I don't want to go harp back on this, but still. So the, the shooting happened in 1979, mm-hmm. and the song was released in 1979. The other thing about this, though, is that the song was actually just intended to be a B-side, but the band changed their mind seeing how successful the song was playing with U.S. audiences on their tour. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to, th- like, again, it feels like it's such a quick turnaround time of, like, this event happens. They write the song. They're touring and playing the song. They're getting a vibe for how the crowd likes the song. And then they're recording it and releasing it as a single. Like it, that seems like a whole lot to pull off within the same calendar year. Oh yeah, for sure. The record industry was so different back then. And your single was what you had, especially for a new band. You know what I mean? When you think back, like, well, at least when I think back, you know, that's why they're in the eighties. There were so many one hit wonders because, you know, there were a lot of albums that would come out and 90, you know, 75% to 90% of the record was garbage except for the two singles or whatever that were on there. So really, um, you know, it would make sense for a band back then to be like, no, this is the song that is, that is tracking with people. We need to go and make sure this is the best song possible and release it that way i mean it makes sense in that in that regard you know what i mean yeah and i think to further like back that up is if you look at what like the best selling singles were in 1979 i have four songs here that were like the top four selling singles that year and at least two of them are definite one hit wonders Mm -hmm. is you had heart of glass by blondie not a one hit wonder Mm -hmm. i will survive by gloria gaynor absolutely a one hit wonder Pop Music by M, again, also definitely a one-hit wonder. Oh, I and Hot that Stuff song. by Donna Summer. Yeah. I remember that song. I remember Pop Music because I think it became also the theme song to Pop Up Video. <laughs> um, oh, but... wow. Pop Up Video. <laughs> I used to love Pop Up Video, man. There's certain shows from that like MTV VH1 peak that I definitely think could still make a solid comeback as like, a YouTube series. And I would, if there was a pop-up video YouTube channel that I could subscribe to and every day I get a new one, 
I would do it so fast. Oh yeah, like, definitely. Not to get off on a bunny trail, but have you heard the audio of from Thriller, from the making of Thriller, when Michael Jackson's character is turning into the werewolf? The actual audio, not like the overdubbed audio that you yes, yes, yeah, where where it's Michael Jackson doing the yelling instead of like the overdubbed like monster voice. I I, quote unquote. I laughed way harder than I should have. Again. We'll do it again. We're still rolling. You need more spritz. Okay. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real world results. That's SAP Business AI. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. I, I have on multiple occasions probably watched not the thriller music video, but the half hour making of thriller oh, music yeah. video that used to play afterwards. Cause it was like, that was my first introduction to like the concept of American werewolf in London. Oh yeah. I had no clue that that was a movie, but I saw that doc when I was maybe I had to be like five and I was like, Oh my God, what is this? <laughs> like who is yeah. John Landis? What, who's a Tom Savini? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. Tom Savini. He's a God <laughs> in my book, dude. But the, You know, you and here's the thing. Dude, is that every time you and I end up talking, we always end up talking about horror movies and horror it's got, I mean, it's got it. Listen, <laughs> I might be the producer of One Hit Thunder, but deep down in my heart, I'm still the host of horror movies. Right. right. <laughs> so talking about horror again and back to the song, um, something that I did research that I thought was really, really interesting about this specific song is that Brenda Spencer's family tried very unsuccessfully to keep the song from even being released in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the argument that they were Bob was able to make was like, we don't say anybody's name. 
Yeah. And like you said, you had no clue what this was about until years later. Yeah. So it would be ridiculous for them to like even be able to try to to explain why this shouldn't be allowed to be released. But he's later admitted that he regretted writing the song. Really? Because Brenda Spencer wrote to him and said, thank you for making me famous. Yeah. And She's, it was like, she, I'm telling you, I don't know if you've ever because I went down a rabbit hole when I found out about what the song was actually about. And, uh, you know, I have to know all of the things about, you know, so. So I went down this YouTube rabbit hole of like, you know, interviews with Brenda Spencer and um, there's recently she was up for parole and that was a big deal because she I think she was trying to actually get paroled. And um, of course, they denied her parole. But uh, I mean, she's she's a psychopath. I mean, I'm saying that clinically, I feel like she checks all the boxes of a psychopath. Oh, 100%. I mean, just from that motive. You know I mean, like, it's one thing if you're just a 16-year-old using that as a motive, but it feels like all these years later, there's still really no remorse for anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a bad, bad sign. Clearly, the silicone chip inside her head got switched to overload. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> which is really the only... Like, I'm looking at these lyrics, and like you said, it, it's all the references to it are so subtle. You know, no one's going to go to school today. She's going to make them stay at home mm-hmm. is probably like the the biggest like direct hinting to what's happening in the song until you get to like the bridge where it's like the lesson today is how to die. Right. But this is this is one of those really interesting poppy upbeat songs with really dark, dark uh, background. Right. Because she was living with her dad. Right. Yeah, who lived across the street from the school. Yeah, and he just had, like, what was it, a twenty two? I think? A twenty two rifle? It was a pretty low-caliber yeah. gun, which is probably fortunate for anyone that was at the school because did limited damage. But, I mean, how far... I mean, I guess this isn't... This is the first, like, elementary school shooting. But... Uh, yeah. But, um, what, it was 1960 something or other the texas a&m bell tower shooting yeah yeah there was definitely the bell tower shooting. there had been i remember when i was a kid a small uh uh, suburb of philadelphia i guess it's not a small suburb but ridley uh ridley park we used to go to the springfield mall to go shopping yeah there was the shooting in the springfield mall there was a shooting there and i remember that and i was in i was in um grade school at the time and that's, I mean, that's literally five, 10 minutes from my house. And there was another shooting there, uh, maybe a couple, maybe a year ago. Really? Um, nothing, nothing crazy. It was like a fight broke out and oh. then it went out into the parking lot and someone pulled out a gun right. and shot it. But the one like, in the eight, and it was, it was either late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. It like, was someone walking around. She, in it there. was a lady and she went in there and she was like fully armed. Yeah, and, it was, I, I know it was it was Christmas of 84, I want to say. Mm. And the only reason I know that is because my friend, one of my best friend's mom was pregnant with her and at the mall when it happened. Didn't she throw like smoke bombs and stuff too? Or yeah, she like she, and stuff? yeah, it was insane. And I didn't know that story until a couple years ago because, I mean, I wasn't born when it happened. And certainly wasn't something my parents were just going to casually bring up when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. like, 
you know, we were talking about Columbine, but I was in elementary or no, I was in middle school when Columbine happened. Mm -hmm. I was in eighth grade. And I remember the first day back to school after that was like, it was surreal because I had never imagined something like that would ever be a thing because they didn't really talk about school shootings before that. Yeah. One of the ironically, actually, one of the episodes. So, you know, I people who listen to the show know that I produce a ton of shows. And one of the shows I produce my favorite episode of we just did an episode on Buffy the Vampire Slayer earshot, mm-hmm. which is an episode that infamously got pulled because it was scheduled to air the day after Columbine and it involves a school shooting. Oh. And there's a line of dialogue, which is really eerie to think about because they shot it maybe, you know, obviously a TV show, you film it months to a year before it airs. But Seth Green's character says school shootings, that's been, that's about to become super untrendy anyway. And like, little do we know that was like, you know, it was about to get way more prevalent than we ever imagined it was going to be. Yeah. But there was also the McDonald's shooting in California. Did you ever see that? No. Some dude that went into a McDonald's and just opened fire on all of these people that were in there. Children and all kinds of stuff, man. And he had them all locked, barricaded in there. They couldn't get out. People were playing dead and stuff. And it was uh, the, the Port Arthur Port massacre Arthur. In, in Tasmania uh, was April 1996. Okay. So before Columbine. Yeah. It's crazy. And and it, again, I, I actually do applaud the Boomtown Rats for, for writing about the subject, but doing it in such a, a creative and subtle way. Right. Because it is one of those things where, like you said, like first listen, you would never imagine. But really, when you look at the lyrics and you break the song down, there's just so many lines as I keep staring at this lyric sheet that are jumping out at me. You know, Sweet 16 ain't that peachy keen and stuff like that. Just these little little references little digs in into the psyche of of brenda spencer yeah which one of the things i did see i don't know how much i, I never know how much i can trust genius rap lyrics <laughs> like when i go on rap genius for for song breakdowns uh-huh. but it says that most recently she said that she feels partially responsible for every school shooting that's happened since um which is i think the closest we've ever seen to any type of remorse from her but like that still doesn't really straight strike me as true remorse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if, are you a fan of the Boontown Rats as a whole, or has it always just been this one specific song that stuck out to you? It's just this one song, really. I mean, I've, I've never taken the time to listen to any other, other songs. Um, so I did. I, I, did. I checked out some of their stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's good. It's, it's, um, I would say it's very it is very in the vein of the 80s music that I like. So it has a little bit of like a Dixie's Midnight Runner, a little bit of a Elvis Costello and like a hint of the police. Yeah, it's very like reggae as like reggae inspired new wave. Yeah, was the vibe that they mostly went with. Yeah, I've only ever really listened to that tune. Um, I should go back and listen to more of their catalog. I mean, yeah, like I said, like just just you know i just remember man i wish i could remember why that song stuck out in my head so much when it when i started going down this rabbit hole but i think it was just that i i they were talking about i was like they can't be talking about the same song i'm thinking of yeah and then you're like i have to check and find out right right 
yeah, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of of the police a little bit. It's very stripped down type stuff, you know. Um, yeah, which is that's the kind of stuff that I like. So I feel like this song has to be one of those songs where, like, you know how like there's those radio stations that like every Friday at five o'clock they play like bang on the drum all day or like working for the weekend or something like. Right. There has to be, I guarantee this is one of the songs that some radio station somewhere like kicks off their morning Monday radio show with I Don't Like Mondays every single week. And having absolutely no clue as to oh, what the song is not about. At all. <laughs> <laughs> not, not at all. Well, the thing that's interesting is I had mentioned earlier that this was covered by Tori Amos. Uh, are you a Tori Amos fan at all? Not really. I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I dislike her. I just neither here nor there for me okay uh, I, dated and that's... A, I dated a girl once that was a big tori amos fan but that's about as much as i've listened to tori amos was her stuff yeah and i'm kind of like i've enjoyed select songs from her but the the album that this cover appeared on was on one of what i thought was the more unique albums she ever put out which was called strange little girls mm-hmm and it was a concept slash cover album. And the entire album was her covering songs written by men about violence. So like Don't Like Mondays by the Boontown Rats was on there. Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles. Raining Blood by Slayer was one of the covers. Wow. Uh, Eminem 97, Bonnie and Clyde. Like she just covered all these different topics. So it's she knew what the song was about, at least. She understood what I don't like Mondays was really being sung about. And I don't remember this cover at all. So I'm definitely going to make it a point to to revisit her reinterpretation of it sooner rather than later. Just another weird fun fact about this I'll have to listen <laughs> about to that record song. now because that is really interesting. There was another song that popped in my head when you when you said that. Um, oh, now it's escaping me. I feel like there's a song about like Lizzie Borden also. I listen to enough like... <laughs> 80s hair metal that there's plenty of songs that pop into my head about lizzie borden right but... right <laughs> it's a very popular topic and also the name of a band yeah who did some really great songs for a movie called black roses uh, didn't, um, didn't cradle of filth write a bunch of songs about like elizabeth bathory and i'm sure and, uh, i mean that's that's like asking me if Ca- like cannibal corpse wrote some songs about murder <laughs> like right. i'm sure that they did right 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 <laughs> <laughs> when we're talking about the song, when we're when we're analyzing it, at the end of the day, our goal is to decide if we think that this song was a one-hit blunder, which means that it had no right being as popular as it was, or if this song brought the one-hit thunder. Now, I know what my thoughts are, but obviously I want the guests to go first. Where do you feel like I don't like Monday's Falls in the blunder to thunder scale? I think it's a great song. I love it. Yeah. I mean... This may mark me as a mentally disturbed person. I don't know. But I like it more knowing what it's about now. Yeah, I agree. I think that knowing the story behind it... It adds depth. Yes, depth depth is the perfect word for it. It really like elevates the song to a next level. So I'm definitely giving it my seal of approval is Thunder as well. That's all I really... I wish that this was like a band that I was more passionate about Uh because we could go on and on, but... I mean, from the few songs that I checked out, I do recommend, like, listeners, if you listen to Don't Like Monday and you like it, keep digging in because it, they do have a pretty interesting catalog. 
But uh, I also want to take a couple seconds to plug you. So most people who are listening probably know you as the drummer from Five Iron Frenzy, but you're also an author. You've got a collection of poems that have been released under the title October, and you have a novel called Little. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the the poems and the, the novel? Sure, I could talk a little bit about that. Um, it's it, I wouldn't call it a novel. It's a children's book. It's like something like 38 pages or something like that about a little girl who uh, it encounters something very terrifying to her and she has to find the courage and strength within herself to you know battle this this big scary thing october is a collection of of poetry a lot of it's pretty morose stuff i was uh when i wrote a lot of this stuff i was in a pretty dark place so naturally that was what came out um I'm still writing poetry. I am still working on writing. Uh, I have a couple of uh, works that I'm currently working on. Um, and then, of course, Five Iron has, I don't know, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but I'll just say that Five Iron has some things going on. It relates to this song a little bit uh, in the same way that um, A New Hope does. The song, All right. the song A New Hope. So, And obviously, I guess if people are fans of Five Iron, check out the website. You guys are always playing these random little weekend tours and stuff like that mm-hmm. and popping up in random cities. So, Yeah, we usually we play a lot of shows with MXPX. Um, um, I also did a project a while back um, with Leonor and Scott and uh, Matt Langston from Eleven D Seven and... Um, um, it's called uh, the fast feeling, and it's it's kind of kind of it's kind of got a cool '80s vibe. So definitely check that I, out as well. I definitely check that stuff out, and I really I think I messaged you as soon as I found it and was like, "Yo, this stuff is like it's super '80s. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. 80s. Yeah, so definitely check that out, especially if you're digging the Boontown Rat sound and want some modern '80s." That is what, what was the name of the band again? The Fast Way? The Fast Feeling. The Fast Feeling. Yeah. Fast Way. Not not to be confused with Fast Way, the band that uh the lead singer Flogging Molly was in that did all the music for Trick or Treat yeah. <laughs> to tie it back to horror movies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much for, for jumping in and joining us on this week's episode of One Hit Thunder, Andrew. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Chris Alios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah. You can hear my white collared shirt off the Punchline album Just Say Yes playing underneath me right now. Due to unexpected global pandemic, Anti-Fest has been postponed and we will let you know when it's back on. Visit punchlion.com for updates as well as news, merch, and other upcoming tour dates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunder at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll be back next week with another episode of One Hit Thunder.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform.